This is Ned Ryan, and welcome to episode 25 of the Ned Ryan Podcast. I want to talk today about spending, debt, and where we stand as a country, but also just to give you some perspective on the absolute madness of the left's policy agenda, which is, again, the left and the Democrat Party are one and the same. So the Democrat Party's policy positions and what they hope to implement. And again, I will say this. Joe Biden is nothing but a Trojan horse, an empty vessel that the far left is going to use to implement its policy agenda because, I mean, we remind people again, Kamala Harris, during the primary, staked out very far left positions. It was almost as though she decided nobody's going to outflank me on the left. And we all know that Joe Biden is a transition candidate, right? God forbid he gets elected this November. If he does, I've told my wife, uh, if, if God forbid Joe Biden is elected, he won't last a year in the White House, right? There, he will be shuffled off to the side very quickly. And Kamala Harris really let something slip the other, I think it was just the other day on on. A video address that obviously went viral on Twitter where she said inside the Harris administration, right? So there's a lot of conversations, you know, going on behind the scenes. Joe Biden's not going to be around that long, right? He is literally going to help usher in the far left agenda. And once that is done, God forbid, he will be gone, right? So I think we have to have some perspective on the insanity of the far left agenda and the costs. So first of all, Let's have a conversation right now. We're $26.7 trillion in debt, actual debt. The number is much bigger, though, which I'll explain. So this comes out to about 80316 debt per citizen, over 200000 of debt per taxpayer. Remember, about half the country does not pay federal taxes. So by the time you get down to the actual taxpayer cost, it's over 200000 213000 the official amount of federal spending is $6.16 trillion, but the actual amount of U.S. federal spending is technically $6.7 trillion, right? On the other hand, the official budget deficit is $2.84 trillion, but the real budget deficit is $3.4 trillion. The U- U.S. national debt as percentage of GDP was 52.69% in 1960. It was 34.62% in 1980. in 2000, guess what it is now? Our U.S. national debt is 132.53% of GDP. But that's not the full story, right? If you go to the usdebtclock.org and look at it, by the time you throw in unfunded liabilities as well for social programs, unfunded uh, liabilities for pensions, you add in everything national, federal, uh, federal, state, and local debt, you're over $153 trillion in actual real debt. All right, so we're sitting on a debt bomb. We really, truly are. So give that for as perspective to where we actually are today. We're coming up on November 3rd very quickly, seven weeks from today. And Joe Biden and the Democrats, which is now pretty much the far left, are actually talking about all of their pet projects. And of course, they're claiming, oh, no, we'll just have a, uh, a progressive wealth tax. We'll tax people at 70%. It'll pay for everything. No, it won't. 
not even close. Okay, so I want to go through all of their social uh, socialist uh, policy agenda items and explain to you this is what the costs are. Realizing that really, truly, between all the real debt of, of, of federal, state, and local unfunded liabilities, etc., we're sitting already on $153 trillion plus. So we'll start with socialized medicine, right? Socialized healthcare, which they call Medicare for all, single-payer healthcare system. Socialized medicine, socialized healthcare system in which it is run by the government. So it's favored by pretty much everybody on the left. And again, the epic moment when every candidate in the Democratic primary was asked, would you give health care to illegal immigrants? Every last one of them raised their hands. All right. So these people, their, their ideas for our health care system would absolutely crash it uh, based off you know, single payer, but also, hey, let's give health care to every illegal immigrant that is in the country. Bernie Sanders, of course, was the, was the one really pushing this in 2016. And it does show you how quickly the Democrat Party has gone to the left when in 2016, Bernie Sanders is talking about this. People are like, oh, this is, you know, this is too far left. Now it's become mainstream inside the Democrat Party. So estimates have shown it would be $32.6 trillion in spending the first 10 years, which is a lie. I mean, I've been around D.C. 20 years full time, almost 25 since my dad came into Congress in 96. I will tell you one thing that you can bank on. The cost estimates in which they say $32.6 trillion during the first 10 years for socialized health care, Medicare for all, is probably not even close to what the real cost will be, right? Like Medicare Part D, which my dad voted against back in 2003, uh, the real actual cost, I think it was double. I think it actually ended up being double what they estimated. So when you look at the $32.6 trillion, I'm not saying double it, but you know that's a low figure. Maybe fifty trillion, sixty trillion. Who who knows? But just understand: anytime DC puts out a figure, it's always on the low end, and it's just still a mind blowing figure. And the reason I'm saying this specifically that this is a low figure, the study assumes the the study that was done by the Mercatus Center that said thirty two point six trillion assumed that physicians and hospitals would accept a forty percent reduction in their reimbursement rates. What if they don't? Right. If if they were not to accept a reduction, of course, the cost goes up significantly. Of course, then you realize nobody's going to take a 40 percent shave. Okay, even though I think there's real reform that could take place in in the healthcare system, starting with radical pricing transparency for starters. But let's just say this happens. Nobody's going to take a 40 percent reduction. You see them flee the industry. Right. We're now in France. Physicians earn only about half as much as their counterparts in America. So you have this, $32.6 trillion for Medicare for All over 10 years, low figure. Let's just say, for face value, for sake of argument, $32.6 trillion. Then you've got the Green New Deal, obviously with much fanfare, uh, introduced by one of the dumbest people in Congress, um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It has now been endorsed, obviously, by Kamala Harris, the VP for Biden, Bernie Sanders, a lot of different people have endorsed the Green New Deal. So a report from the Power of the Future found that it would cost over $49 trillion in its first decade. There have been other figures that have shown it closer to $90 trillion. Right? This is a staggering figure. When you realize it would completely crash our current system, 
And the point I'll make later on, but I'll make it now so I can reinforce it later. All of these ideas that are being proposed, whether it's Medicare for All, Green New Deal, etc., deeply socialist ideas, right? It's statism. Government runs everything. The only way you can actually achieve these policy ideas agenda is through coercion. This is coercive socialism. There is another term for coercive socialism. It's called communism. So low figure, 49 trillion over the first 10 years. American Action Forum estimated the regulatory and investment costs with the Green New Deal, uh, another $6.7 trillion over the first decade. So now even a low figure for this is $56 trillion, right? But there have been higher estimates, just under $100 trillion over the first 10 years. Just a mind-blowing figure. There's then the Free College Plan, backed by Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, that has been estimated to cost taxpayers $47 billion a year, which, of course, translates to almost half a trillion over the first decade, $470 billion. All right? So then you add on another one of Pocahontas' ideas, a 2% wealth tax on assets worth more than $50 million. Of course, in addition to the constitutional issues this would raise, uh, it's an inadequate mechanism to raise revenues to pay for these absolutely massive government initiatives that they are proposing. I mean, it would only this the, this two percent wealth tax on, um, on assets that Warren is proposing would only raise two point seven five trillion over the course of a decade, right? Which, to put it in perspective, is about a sixteenth of the amount of Medicare for all. Okay, so this wealth tax, oh, it'll pay for everything. We'll just tax the wealthy more. Yeah, it only pays for a 16th of Medicare for all. One program, one 16th of it. So AOC has now proposed, she wants to increase the top marginal income tax to 70%. Conservative Tax Foundation estimated this policy would only generate about $300 billion in revenues over the course of a decade. Washington Post, of course, doing their best to help push the propaganda, said, no, this will probably put it closer to $700 billion. Okay, let's just, for sake of argument, take the Washington Post bogus number of $700 billion. That doesn't fully account for declining capital investment, economic growth, that re- uh, and decreased economic growth that would result from higher tax rates. But even if you use the Washington Post's $700 billion figure, that's only 2% of the cost for Medicare for All. Okay, the, 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 there's nowhere near enough funding of let's tax the wealthy to pay for anything, uh, just a fraction of these policy ideas. So you got Bernie Sanders' estate tax plan. It's referred to for the 98.8% Act. Well, that's only going to raise $2.2 trillion over an unknown period of time, right? They don't put a figure on it. It only because it only taxes the the wealthy individual when they die. So we don't really know, first of all, would it really bring in 2.2 trillion? When would it bring it in? You know, that that's the great question. So the nation's total wealth net worth uh, of wealth, right? Worth is GDP, stocks, assets, everything in this country is about 100 trillion with the top 1% owning about 40% of that amount. So even if the government, just for sake of argument, confiscated 100% of the assets of the top 1%, 
which I would remind you would only happen once. And so it'd be a one-time seizure, and then it would absolutely annihilate the economy, of course, because you're taking 40% of all the wealth, right? Of the, of the people that have created a lot of jobs, who have been entrepreneurs, who have done a lot of different things, you're taking all the money, all the wealth, and annihilating anything else that they have created, right? So there's, there's nothing left, and it's one time. That only obtains $40 trillion in a one-time grab. Of course, at that point, it's pure communism, right? We've gone past even trying to masquerade as some form of socialism. as pure communism if the state were to seize all the assets of the top 1%. It would get $40 trillion. Okay, that doesn't even cover the cost of the Green New Deal. It would barely cover the cost of Medicare for All. And just a one-time, remember, it was one-time, this is a one-time grab of all the assets of the top 1% in this country. So you've got Green New Deal. You've got Medicare for All. You've got free college. All of these things are adding up. I think we're right now between the 56, these are low figures, 56 trillion, 32 trillion. We're at about 88 trillion over the first 10 years. Okay. Uh, tack, on, tack on the free college, we're getting close to 90 trillion. So these figures illustrate that the left's economic proposals are totally unaffordable. Right? There's no amount of excessive taxation on the wealthy who even come close to funding them. It's only logical to assume that tax rates are going to have to increase on everybody. And again, I'll remind you, I think it's 47% of, of people here in this country do not pay federal taxes. There's absolutely no way you can fund even a fraction of this by taxing the wealthy out of existence. You'd have to tax everybody else. Everybody else would have to pay draconian taxes. And at that point, when the tax burden becomes so onerous and so draconian, you are working for the state, right? You are basically a ward of the state. And at that point, again, once you've crushed, if you were to have crushed the top 1%, a lot of the jobs, they go away. So then where are you taxing, right? If nobody has, if somebody doesn't have a paycheck, how are you going to tax them? So that's another thing. I mean, this, this is so poorly thought out. Again, nobody's going to ever accuse AOC or any of these folks of being rocket scientists. I just spend, 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 because there's no actual real figures or plan that would ever support any of this. If you were to tack on everything else, reparations, a higher figure for Green New Deal, all these other things that they're talking about, again, the burden that would be increased on the social welfare programs for the unskilled or low-skilled illegal immigrants that are coming in, et cetera, et cetera, all of those costs over the first 10 years, I did the math, you're looking at over $200 trillion in the first 10 years. And it really has occurred to me that perhaps the point isn't to really actually implement these, although, of course, they'll try, but perhaps some of some people on the left, far left, are thinking these things, if they were ever to be implemented in any way, would actually crash the current system. Right? There's no way. There's, there's nothing. There's no amount of money you can squeeze out of anybody, including the extremely wealthy, that would ever make this long-term sustainable approach to life. So you crash the current system to bring in a new system. And that new system is full-blown communism. There's no other way to put it. So anytime you hear any of this idiocy being talked about, understand 
their goal is to end the current system. It's, it's to do away with the constitutional republic. It's to do away with free market, capitalism, entrepreneurial system, and usher in a new order. That is the point. So in National Review put a lower figure, $42.5 trillion on, on some of these things over the first 10 years. Again, still a staggering figure. And that analysis is based off estimates provided by the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, Liberal Sources, Urban Institute. If you're going with a more conservative approach like what National Review did, it, it looks at Medicare for All, tuition-free higher education, government-backed jobs programs, doesn't include the Green New Deal. But if implemented, this broad program would cause spending in the U.S. to swell to about 40% of GDP in the short term and then rise to 50% of GDP within a 30-year period. And this, of course, overshadows pretty much every, not well, most European nations. So some geniuses, and I say this in air quotes, on the left have realized some of the plans being proposed, whether it's Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren's 2%, AOC's 70% top rate, marginal rate, those don't work, right? No way is going to get enough funding. So how do you actually fund something like this? Well, people have proposed these ideas. Again, insane. I'm telling you what's been proposed. 100% tax on all corporate profits and 100% on all family income and pass-through business income exceeding $90,000 a year for single individuals and $150,000 for married individuals. Of course, it's highly unlikely if someone faced with that kind of tax burden is going to continue to work. right? If you, if you realize, well, I'm basically giving away everything I've earned, why would you work? Now, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll live off the state. That's the point, right? They're, they're getting it to where you become dependent on the state. They're going to tax you out of existence. Then you've got the European-style value-added tax, the VAT. It's like a sales tax. Uh, that, they have proposed a VAT tax in America at the rate of 87%. There would be a new payroll tax at a 37% rate, which would be layered on top of the existing 15.3% payroll tax. But then again, all of these extensive taxes that are being proposed only generate $34 trillion which is still not the full cost of the programs. doesn't even cover the existing $12.4 trillion budget shortfall over the coming decade. So the best way to make up for this deficit is to then implement across-the-board tax hike of 15% in addition to all the other taxes. So that means everybody gets taxed. Again, pointing out, you know, half the population doesn't pay federal tax. They're all going to get included in this. So if you think, if you are listening to this and had some benighted idea, well, they're only going to tax the rich to provide for this. No way it works. Everybody gets taxed. Everybody will be taxed at minimum of 15%, if not higher. So here's some in interesting statistics. And this is from the Kaiser Family Foundation, spring of 2019. 56% of Americans initially support universal health care plan. When it's described as Medicare for all, 46% plurality favorite, 31% oppose. 65% of Americans favor a public option healthcare system where Medicare for all would, would coexist with private insurance, while only 30% of the American people oppose it. On the issue of guaranteeing health insurance as a right, 71% of Americans agree, only 27% opposed. However, public support for greater government involvement in the healthcare industry is on shaky ground, 
And I'll tell you why. When people get beyond the unicorns, rainbows, and fairy dust and start to realize the implications, the numbers start to change. When told that Medicare for all would require higher taxes, public support fell to only 37%. Opposition rose to 60%. As in, people got the memo and realized, oh, this isn't free. I have to actually pay for it through taxes, which will be taken from me by force. Right? I'll be compelled to pay higher taxes. Immediately, as soon as that dawned on those being polled, support for universal health care dropped 20 points and opposition doubled. When they were told that the program would eliminate private insurance, only 37% of Americans supported Medicare for All and 58% opposed it. Again, tracking with same numbers of those who realized, wait, higher taxes? No, I'm not for this. Same thing when it would eliminate private insurance. When they were told the reality of what will happen under socialized health care, that it would delay, Medicare for All would delay medical tests and treatment, only 26% of the American people now supported the program, while opposition grew to 71%. And, they, I mean, this is reality. This is fact. When you look at Canada's socialized health care, England's, you look at all these socialized health care programs throughout the world, there's no denying that there is absolutely a delay in medical tests and treatment. It's not even worth even having a conversation about because there's so many facts that show when you are in a socialized healthcare system, you can't go down the street and the next day have uh, you know MRIs or all these other tests that, that you might need. It could be weeks, if not months, right? That's what happens. So when people understand that, there's only 26% that support Medicare for all, 71% opposed. So in 2016, in Colorado, there was on the ballot a proposal to establish universal health care in the state of Colorado, right? $25 billion cost, $25 billion proposal, it's on the ballot, would outlaw private insurance. Despite the fact that this measure was endorsed by Bernie Sanders, who won the 2016 Democratic caucus in Colorado 59 to 40, significant margin, and then even though Hillary Clinton won the state 48 to 43, the healthcare ballot was overwhelmingly defeated. And more specifically, only 20% of the state voted for this measure, while an overwhelming 79.4% voted against it. In fact, not a single county in the entire state came anywhere close to favoring universal health care in the state of Colorado. Now, let's go to this year's primaries, Democratic primaries, Kamala Harris, when Kamala Harris flip-flopped on the entire issue. So she said initially, yeah, I want to outlaw private insurance. That would kick 177 million people off their plans. Thought it was good politics. Medicare for all, of course, is going to eliminate private health insurance. And in the, in the primary, of course, you've got Sanders, you've got Elizabeth Warren, and you've got Kamala Harris all in on socialized medicine, universal health care, Medicare for all, whatever you want to call it, social, socialized health care. During the January 2019 town hall with CNN's uh, Jake Tapper, Kamala Harris said, listen, the idea that everyone gets access to medical care and you don't have to go through the process of going through an insurance company 
having them give you approval, going through all the paperwork, all of the delay that might require, let's eliminate all of that. Let's move on. A more ignorant statement I don't know I've heard about, let's eliminate our current healthcare system and do something like Canada, as she's talking about delays and all of the things, getting approval for certain tests that would be denied in socialized healthcare. But no, no, no. Let's live with a happy fiction that somehow all of these things will be eliminated under Medicare for all. It's it's idiotic. The left is, is trying to adopt universal healthcare, socialized medicine, despite the fact that most people with private healthcare like their plans. And I will be the first to tell you, I think our healthcare um, infrastructure plan, everything in America needs reform for so many different reasons. I, I think that there are a lot of different things between the providers and the insurance companies that need reform. That all to say, Gallup found that 70% of those with private insurance rate their coverage as excellent or good. And 85% say the same about the health care they receive. So let's go back to the Green New Deal. So it would establish healthcare, housing, economic security, water, food, and the preservation of nature as government-guaranteed rights. It would grant welfare payments to all people, even if they are unable or unwilling to work. It would rebuild and retrofit every building in the United States so they are more disposed to renewable forms of energy and thus are supposedly more environmentally friendly seeks to make the U.S. economy 100% based on renewable energy within a decade, which is, of course, a completely unrealistic goal, is made all the more absurd by the fact that it would prohibit the use of nuclear energy, which is highly efficient and carbon neutral, which, by the way, the overwhelming majority of France's energy runs off nuclear power. Uh, the economy would be forced to rely on incredibly inefficient forms of energy, such as solar and wind, which, by the way... To get perspective, in 2019, about 63% of utility-scale electricity was generated by fossil fuels, 38% from natural gas, almost 24% from coal, half a point from petroleum, and about 0.3% from other gases. Almost 20% came from nuclear, and only 17.5% came from renewables. Again, reminding you that in the Green New Deal, a decade from now, they want 100% of our energy to be based on renewable, when in fact, in 2019, only 17.5% came from that. The composition among renewable energy of that 17.5% was 6.6 hydropower, 7.3 wind, 1.4 biomass, 1.8 solar, and 0.4% geothermal. Okay, there's no way you can recreate all of the energy needs for our thriving, robust country off renewable energies. It doesn't work. There's, there's no world in which it works, and it certainly doesn't work in a 10-year period. Green New Deal, of course, also made generic claims about the need for building, charging stations for cars everywhere, and planting lots of trees. Listen, I'm all about planting trees. My wife will tell you this. I plant trees all the time. I'm probably more green than most of these people. This is insane, what they are proposing. It, it makes no sense in a real world. And in reality, it makes zero sense. They have also admitted, again, this was pretty uh, one of the famous um, parts of the Green New Deal, they're going to replace planes with high-speed rail and get rid of farting cows. Um 
of course, an unreasonable target. You're never going to get rid of farting cows. Also, how are you supposed to get to Europe? What are you going to do, build an underwater high-speed rail? So, again, some of the lower figures, probably $56 trillion over 10 years for the Green New Deal. Fox News had the estimate um, of $93 trillion, which was put together by a former director of the CBO, Doug Holtz-Eakin. And his figure was, was $93 trillion, not the $56 trillion. But to give it even more of perspective, the Green New Deal would cost swing state households about $75,000 apiece in the first year, right? CEI, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, Power of the Future, they found the annual cost would be the following in these various states. In Colorado, $74,287. Florida, just over $76,000. Iowa, almost $77,000. Michigan, almost $75,000. New Hampshire, almost $75,000. New Mexico, just over $74,000. On and on and on. While the cost imposed on each of the states are projected to decline over the following years, they would all face more than 39000 in annual costs over the course of six or more years. Where are people going to make this money? Right? Where does this money come from? You're just going to print fiat money, which will drive up inflation? I mean, there's no way any of this makes sense. The aggregate costs on those states alone would be about $2.7 trillion. All of this to say, when you are looking at November 3rd, 2020, these things are on the ballot, right? This is what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, along with Bernie Sanders and AOC, have put together, right? This fusion policy agenda. When they had that, you know, big get together and came to a 100-page-plus document about all of the ideas that they want to implement, a lot of which are the far left's wish list. None of this will ever work. I mean, there's not enough monopoly money in the world to make it work. So when it comes time to vote, I would strongly encourage you, why on earth would you give anybody a decision-making leadership position in this country that has absolutely no idea how things actually work, that want to crash our system? And again, I know that there are people on the other side who know this won't work. They know it, right? But they will crash the system. They will crash the constitutional republic and our, our free market entrepreneurial system. That's the point. There are, of course, others like AOC who's dumb enough to think that this will actually work. That all to say, that is why this is the biggest election this year that we've had in at least 160 years in this country. It really is about do we try and go back and restore the constitutional republic or do we crash the old system and usher in a new one, of course, of socialism, which is, of course, communism? That's what will happen. And I don't think that's in any way even close to hyperbole. I think this is just a simple statement of the facts based off things that they have said, based off the numbers that are being discussed. That's what's on the ballot November 3rd. And the only guy that will actually be the bulwark for the republic is Donald Trump. And I've told him this. I told him on the phone, sir, you are the last bulwark of the republic. And if you lose, it is a descent into darkness. So you can't lose. This is what I was telling him when I thought he needed a new campaign manager and some other things. This is why it is incumbent upon every one of you listening to this podcast to do everything that you can over the next seven weeks. 
to get your friends and family out to the polls to actually vote for Donald Trump. And as much as I dislike some of the Hill leadership in the Republican Party, we need to at least keep the Senate for the judges. And it would be nice if we could take a run at getting the House back, which I think is a longer shot. I think we can keep the Senate and the White House and keep the Senate with a smaller majority. These things can be done, despite what the press is telling you. And there really is no other option. To lose is to not only put ourselves, this current generation, in a terrible place as a country, but our children and their children in a god-awful situation in which they will not have freedom. There will be no freedom in this country on any level if Donald Trump loses on November 3rd.